Hi, this is Dave LaGreca of Busted Open on Sirius XM. And I remember the first time ever hearing Eddie Van Halen. I was just coming home from school, my last day of school before the summer of 1981. And my brother was blasting from his boombox, Mean Streets, the opening song of Fair Warning. And I just remember from that point on, that, that solo that started off Mean Streets, that tap into that guitar, man, just phenomenal. And it just, I'd never heard anything like it before or since and i instantly fell in love with van halen and especially eddie van halen and i never got to see him with david lee roth but i remember my junior year of high school seeing him on the ou812 tour and i was never a big sammy fan i always preferred david lee roth so i was completely fixated on eddie van halen that entire time and i just remember his solo was the main event because once he did his solo man once they went into black and blue after that solo, you start to see people leave kind of like, hey, man, we just saw the main event. We just saw the main attraction. We came here to see Eddie Van Halen. We came here to hear that solo. And, man, he's a legend. And I know that's a term that's thrown around a lot, but he was a true legend, an icon, and without a doubt, the greatest guitarist of our generation. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And it's been a tough week because uh, just a few days ago, the world lost one of the best, most innovative guitar players in rock history or in any type of history. The guy who created a movement, became part of the pop culture lexicon, and inspired generations of guitar players and always will. Talking about the great, legendary Eddie Van Halen passing away from uh, cancer on October 6th at the age of 65. Uh, none of us really knew what to do. I mean, this was really hard. It was as hard as losing Neil Peart uh, feels like 16 years ago. It was just beginning of 2020. But I did the same type of thing that we did when Neil passed away. I gathered a bunch of friends and fellow musicians, all influenced and inspired by EVH, and all who say they owe their music and careers to him. And we pay tribute honoring Edward Van Halen's playing, his solos, his songwriting, his technical contributions to the guitar, and as you'll hear, his incredibly friendly, warm human spirit as well. The inviting smile and humility that endured even when he wasn't at his best. I'm joined by trickster Steve Brown, who was part of the Eddie Van Halen camp, had a personal relationship with him. There's a mutual love shared. Steel Panthers guitarist Satchel, who played in one of the greatest Van Halen tribute bands, Atomic Punks, and whose guitar playing just drips of, of, of Van Halen-esque uh, licks and solos. And my Fozzie bandmates and guitarists, of course, my partner in crime, Rich Ward, whose playing is not necessarily Eddie-influenced per se, but his attitude and rhythm playing is what Rich really picked up on, which is very interesting to me. And, of course, Billy Gray, who was a Van Halen disciple, uh, who rips out the solo to You Really Got Me whenever we play it live, and another uh, very talented musician who credits everything to Eddie. We also had so many friends who wanted to pay tribute to Eddie, more than we could welcome into a single podcast session for the whole show. So I invited them to send in thoughts, stories, and memories about Eddie and Van Halen. You hear those throughout the show as well. Of course, the Fab Three, Charlie Benanti, Mike Portnoy, Dave LaGreca from Busted Open, Frankie Kazarian from AEW, all offer their own stories. And that's how we're going to begin the show today with a few words from Michael Sweet from Striper. He was going to come on the show on Saturday. Uh, he couldn't because he had some meetings he had to do. But he did send in these memories and these thoughts about Eddie Van Halen as we kick off the tribute right here on Talk is Jericho. I'll never forget the first time I heard Van Halen 1. 
changed my life as a musician, as a guitarist, as a producer. And I strived to be better. And I was inspired to work harder at my craft. And I truly give all the credit to Eddie Van Halen for that. Although I'm a huge Van Halen fan, and I admire and respect each member, Eddie Van Halen had a very special impact on me individually. And it feels like I lost a family member, to be honest. It's unbearable. It's, I still can't believe it. Every day I wake up and I'm just blown away that he's gone. And I am incredibly sad. But I'm also very happy with what he left for the world and the mark he made on, on this planet with the music that he created and how innovative he was and how he changed the rock and roll world forever, for all eternity. And um, certainly changed my life and I love him and God bless him and may he rest in peace. Speaking of, this week is, is taking a dump. If you want to talk about a, a rock and roll horrible thing with, of course, the passing of, of the greatest of all time, and you can't convince me of otherwise, and we can talk about that, of Eddie Van Halen. And I just did a guest DJ set today uh, for Sirius for the Van Halen channel, which made me realize a bunch of stuff that I'm excited to talk with. Probably five of the biggest, four of the biggest influenced Van Halen guitar players that I know. Two of them in my band, of course, being Billy Gray and Rich Ward. And then we got Steve Brown from Trickster and from Tokyo Motor Fist, and of course the almighty Satchel from Steel Panther. If I call you Russ, it's because it's a pet name that we have for each other. All of you guys are, are very much influenced by, by Van Halen, but in different ways. And I guess we could just start from the start. How, how did it feel for you, Steve? Because I think you actually knew Eddie. I'm not sure if, if Russ did or not. Um, but how was that for you, Steve, hearing this? Because I know you were kind of in the know, a little bit kind of in the camp so to speak, and kind of knowing what was going on with, with Edward over the last six months or a year or so? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I feel like I lost a, a part of my body. I feel like I lost a family member. And um, like we all do, we lost the greatest rock and roll guitar player and musician that the world's ever known and the world will ever know. So, yeah, but uh, I, I got to be honest, you know, I knew it was coming. You know, I got a call, you know, the day before it happened. And but I knew even before because he's been sick for a really long time. So at the end of it, I'm just so happy that he's finally at peace and not suffering anymore. Because I do know that the last couple months and the last month especially were really, really rough on him. And uh, for a guy who was so sweet and had such a big heart, I would never want to see him suffer like he did. Right. How about you, Billy? The way I heard about it was uh, from when you sent out the text. Mm -hmm. And you said, Eddie's gone. I was like, oh, my God. I was either thinking EVH or I'm, I'm sorry to bring it up or Eddie Trunk. But I knew it was probably EVH because of all the uh, the rumors that were going around and then those guys not being able to go out on tour and stuff like that. And just, you know. So, uh, yeah, dude, that was a horrible day. I mean, I still can't believe it. It was definitely a shot. How about you, Rich? Yeah, I mean, I, I saw a text from you first. That was the crazy thing. I just looked down and you been I think your text said Eddie's gone. And I didn't like I didn't know how to process it because I think part of me was just um, you know, I had no idea he was that sick. So it didn't make sense to me that 
that that would have been what you meant. You know what I mean? Like I mm-hmm. didn't. So that was, that was the thing. It's like when you don't expect something, I'm searching my memory bank of Eddie's gone. What is, I'm just trying to, and then immediately I just, just to, so I didn't have to ask that terrible question. Eddie Van Halen, I didn't want to say it. You know, like right. I felt so sick to my stomach about the, what that possibility was that I immediately went on social media just to see, to confirm. And sure enough, that was the craziest thing is the, it had only been 15 minutes or so. And the entire Twitter and Instagram timeline was just photographs. Like, and that, then that was when my heart sunk and I was like, you know, and the crazy thing was, I know most of you guys know Matt Brown, right? Matt At Brock. EVH. Yeah. Matt um, Brock. Yeah. And he, uh, I just spoke with him, literally just spoke with him 15 minutes before Jericho sent me the text. And I think he knew, but just didn't want to say anything. And I was like, I could hear it in his voice. I was like, is everything all right? He's like, yeah, I just have to clean some stuff up here at the shop. And I was like, I, yeah, just incredible. Yeah. And that was Eddie's longtime tech, right, Matt? Well, I think we might be making, there is a Matt Brown, right? Are you talking yeah, about Matt, Matt Brown? Brown? Yeah. Cause yeah. there's Matt and Matt Brown and then Matt Brock, who's Eddie's best friend and, you know, who's, you know, runs EVH gear who's been with Eddie for 30 years, who's one of my, you know, one of my dear friends. And I think yeah, I met Matt, Matt Brown, who works for EVH yes, and yes. kind of works with Ed to develop the amps and guitars. Yeah, that's, that's it. How about you, Russ? I mean, obviously, and Steve, Steve and Billy and Russ, you guys all have a very Van Halen style. But I think when, whenever we tour with Steel Panther, I mean, the Eddie influence is just ridiculously huge there. Obviously, you're a huge fan and... Did you know anything about this or was it more of a surprise for you? No, I, I you know, I was actually on the phone with uh, Michael Starr because, you know, this whole pandemic has got all of us to basically at home, right? And everybody wants to be out there touring, but we can't. So it's been a totally screwed up year. But I was on the phone with Michael Starr and I had called Sticks like five minutes before and he didn't pick up the phone. So then I called Michael and I don't talk to Michael every day. And, um, you know, a lot of people know this, but Michael and I used to be in a Van Halen tribute band for years. Right, right. And so that was like, as far as tribute bands go, like that, you know, that band started in the like early 90s and just as a way to make money. But but also because we were huge Van Halen fans and, you know, we all grew up learning to play rock on Van Halen. Of course, like you guys, like you guys, like so many Mm -hmm. people from my generation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's like the first stuff that I. That's the first stuff I remember hearing on guitar that blew me away when I was like seven years old. Somebody played me Eruption and I went, I didn't even play guitar yet, but I just went, uh, we, that's a guitar? Like, I didn't know that guitar could make that sound. And of course, I think that was part of what made me become a guitar player, like looking back in retrospect. But um, I was on the phone with, with Michael Starr and, uh, you know, we used to be in a Van Halen tribute band. And I don't talk to him every day. You know, it's like, I don't some band members you talk to more during the pandemic. I touch mm-hmm. base with sticks almost every day, but, but Michael is, you know, he, he's a lead singer. So he's very aloof, just like Chris. Right. And um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm outnumbered. I'm outnumbered guys. I got no chance today. <laughs> yeah. I had to, you know, I got to like, pin him down. So I got him on the phone. And of course, as soon as I get Michael on the phone, Sticks calls back, right? And he's like, my phone's blowing up. And I'm like, I'm just ignoring Sticks. So then Sticks calls Michael and he starts blowing his phone up. And Michael's like, do you want me to just patch him in? I'm like, all right, I guess we have to let Sticks join the conversation. And uh, he's like, hey, man, what are you guys doing? And I'm like, trying to catch up, dude. And he's like, oh, dude, you, were you guys talking about Eddie? And I knew oh, right yeah. then. I was like, oh. oh. 
Like, and then it was just, you know, it was, it's like, we all knew that he was sick and we all had talked about it for a while, but, but he, the longer he went, the more you just kind of go, oh, well, maybe it's not going to happen. And then all of a sudden it happens and it's like a ton of bricks, you know? And, uh, you know, the whole week's been like, every day has been like, oh, like, it's so weird because I never even talked to Eddie. I never met him one time, but he's been such a huge part of my life from beginning of me playing music like he was all of ours because he wasn't just a great guitar player either. I mean, like throughout my guitar playing and my music, my learning of music, I, I realized that one of the reasons why I always put on Van Halen instead of Ingbe Melstein, because, you know, Ingbe is a great guitar player, but Eddie, Eddie wasn't just a great guitar player and a great lead guitar player. He was also a great songwriter and a great musician and all of the things that, and Eddie cared about, you know, you can listen to any Van Halen songs. Like he cared about all the parts and all the rhythms and all of it was so interesting. And it was, you know, it's, it's been all week just thinking about it. Yeah. And, and that's the thing too. And it, it just to kind of jump in, it's, it's crazy because I felt the same way that I did, not just nine months ago when Neil Peart died, who was another huge, like I'm not an instrumentalist musician. My, my, my music, musical instrument is my voice, but when I heard about Neil Peart dying, I'm like, this is fucking terrible. And that was a huge surprise. But same thing. There was some underlying, you know, overtones. And then a couple of weeks after that, Kobe Bryant dies. And then here we are eight months later when Eddie dies. You have three guys that are legit could be considered the best of all time at what they do in Neil, in Kobe and in Eddie. All three within this this time frame. I was like. You know, Ozzy and freaking Gretzky better go hide in a bunker somewhere, you know, get out of this year. But here's what I was thinking. I wanted to get into this. And you mentioned what, Russ, you were talking about what Eddie was as a musician. But it was more than that. And let's talk about this because I think it's something you guys will all understand. Van Halen isn't just the band. Van Halen changed pop culture in a smaller way, but a similar way that the Beatles did. When Van Halen became a very popular rock band, suddenly they became synonymous with what rock and roll is. Whenever you watch the movie at that time frame, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Spicoli at the end, he loses his reward money because he spends it all on Van Halen coming to play his birthday party. You know, even Bill and Ted, they want Eddie Van Halen. Van Halen's in Back to the Future and Van Halen's here. Van Halen became synonymous with good time rock and roll. And not the same way that it did with the other bands that were hot at that time in the mid-80s of Priest and Maiden and, and Scorpio, uh, Scorpions and Crew. They had a little bit of an evil twinge to it. Van Halen had none of that. They had, we're going to have chicks in bikinis and we're going to have, you know, a, a giant and a, and a fat guy and a skinny guy. And it's all going to be a great time. And that's what Van Halen, to me, is more than just the music. He became part of pop culture lexicon. Do you agree with that? Totally. I do. Steve? 100%, man. I mean, Van Halen was, they were the 80s as far as I'm concerned. I mean, as far as 80s rock bands, because every rock band that came after them copied them. We all did. We all wanted to be Van Halen. I wanted to be Eddie Van Halen. I know, I know, I know Satchel did. I know Billy did. I mean, yeah. you know, how could you not? They were the fucking coolest thing ever you could not touch any band and no band came near them as far as the attitude the fun and that's the cool thing chris i think you stumbled upon a great you didn't stumble upon it it's the truth that they were in when you cross over when you're in 
motion pictures and you have references of your band and your music is in major motion pictures in the 80s, you've crossed way. You're in pop culture. That's way bigger than being in Hit Parader magazine. Mm -hmm. They were definitely a good time band. When you heard Van Halen, you thought, oh, I did. I thought about just loud guitars, partying, California, good time, rock and roll, chicks. You know what I mean? I love Van Halen. I love it. <laughs> I think you're right, Chris, in that they they captured a moment in time and like a, an aesthetic, right? Like like James Dean did. You, you, like certain people are synonymous with something. And I think it was just because you had this incredible musician, songwriter in Eddie who partnered with the personification of, of West Coast showbiz. And he was one part Barnum Bailey Circus and mm -hmm. one part Robert Plant. And yeah. like he just had all of those things that made him the perfect vehicle for the Van Halen brothers. And I actually today I was in the car a little bit, just doing what we've all been doing, I'm sure, just kind of revisiting these albums. And I was actually really surprised at how much I overlooked even because the Van Halen brothers, it's the same thing as the Pantera. Anytime you have just these iconic musicians, it's the same reason why, uh, you know, uh, Getty and, <laughs> you know, like uh, Getty Lee and obviously the professor get all of the love. You have Alex Lyson, one of the greatest guitar players of all time. But unfortunately, because you have those other two dudes, mm -hmm. but I was listening and Michael Anthony's bass parts yeah. are incredible. They are. They ruled. The chemistry of that band was perfect. And they there was just nothing wrong with it. And it was in, it just, I think, everything about them, the timing and the fact that at that point in time, there was something magical about what all Americans thought about California and Hollywood. Yeah. And again, they encapsulated that, that kind of picturesque idea that what the whole world, when they thought of California, that about American flag bikinis and long hair and like just you know, like you said, the Spicoli attitude. And I think they they were the only band that was able to do that but without feeling like it was a joke, like it felt like it was real. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like sometimes there's the Epcot version of that, which feels cheesy and you know, it's like it's overblown. And then there was Van Halen and they walked that tightrope. And I think that's why people really love them because they were the ultimate American dream escape. Yeah. Hey, this is Charlie Benante with Anthrax. And this is me talking about one of the greatest, if not the greatest guitar player to ever come out of uh, this world, Eddie Van Halen. I'm going to take it back to the early days of me being a, a huge Kiss, Led Zeppelin, Sabbath, Queen fan. And then I heard this song from my next door neighbor and it was fucking Jamie's crying and... I just liked the drum sound. I didn't even notice the guitar until later. But there's no, there's a solo in it, but it's not like a Eddie Van Halen complete assault on your on your senses solo. And then I looked at the album cover and I just had to have it. And then Eruption came on and that was it. I couldn't understand what was going on, but I just knew I loved it. And then I got a taste of what fucking excitement sounds like on record you know 
I mean, so many records have excitement on it, but Van Halen, I always said, sounded like there was a fucking party going on with their their albums, which I loved to this day. Those little things, those little ad-libs, those nuances that they put on their record just made it sound like these guys just came in the studio, they took the party to the studio and hit record, and there's a song. And that's the way I always felt about that band. The first time I saw them... My neighbor, Nick, his mom took us. She drove us to the Nassau Coliseum to see Van Halen in 1979. And I was only at a few concerts throughout those years because I was still young. And this was like one of the first ones. Like She dropped us off. We went and had a fucking ball. When they came on, it was just a different level, a different type of excitement for me at shows. There was just so much energy coming off of that stage and uh, just seeing them in person and seeing Eddie do these solos and these jumps and this, it was just amazing. And Alex hit his fucking gong on fire and it was, I just couldn't get enough of them and I never missed them every year after that. So they definitely have a place for me. Uh, When I think of Van Halen, I think of my childhood and, just experiencing, like I said, excitement. Every time I saw them, I would always get, you know, the hair on my arm would stand up because something would happen that would make me go, whoa, right there. That's something that I'm going to take with me forever. And um, that's what Van Halen, that's what Eddie Van Halen meant to me. It's interesting, too, because I've been watching, as we all have. I mean, you know, the night I found out Eddie passed away, I did what I usually do. Same thing I do with Neil is I just grab a bottle of vodka and just go down the YouTube rabbit hole. And just watching all eras of Van Halen, that's something I want to talk about, too. People always equate it to Roth, but, you know, Sammy Hager was no joke. And even it's much maligned Gary Sharon era. There's some great stuff there, too, because it all boils down to the brothers. The brothers are making the music, and it always was great. But just watching Roth kind of in his peak, and dude, in this day and age, he would get murdered. You know, he sings the words he wants to sing. He doesn't care. I was watching I'm the One today from about 78. And dude, all he just goes, wow, and just like he fucks off. I'm the one, the one you love. He lets the guys sing the background. He's not, now he's out. He has no interest in singing anything and it doesn't matter because he's doing these dances and and even watching later era Roth on on that tour in 2015 when they do Hot for Teacher, he's not even singing the words like, meanwhile, back at the ranch, I realized that I had no mustard for my sandwich, so I had a mustardless sandwich, wow, and it's just like, it's so great. But no one could ever get away with that. Those two guys were so locked in with one is one would pick up the slack for the other and vice versa. I think because he was working the room, right? As opposed to now, you're working YouTube. 
Like now <laughs> yeah. everybody gets to pick apart your performance where back then it was really about it, like the energy in Great that point. room and he's reading the room and he's working that room. That's what we all used to do, work in the club scene. Like you never thought about somebody's got a camera and thinking, God, I better make sure I nail this solo. I better not jump up on that Great. speaker cabinet because if I, if I suck this solo and blow it, it's going to be on YouTube tomorrow. And I'm going to have 10,000 <laughs> comments telling me, Rich Ward sucks, he's terrible. Like, so now so many people People, I think there's this kind of apprehension to live in that moment that I think was magical about that Roth era, like the the pre <laughs> the pre Muppet Show old guys, right? You know? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Satch? Do you agree with all that? Yeah, I mean, it's it was. Uh, I wish I wish we could all go back to that time. You know, it, it was it was such a great time in music, and Van Halen was. Uh, you know, I mean, dude, there's so much to be said for for going on stage totally hammered and not giving a shit because I mean, really like, like that's, they were a rock and roll band. It was like, I can remember like hearing about bands like Zeppelin when I was, was a kid and, and people saying, Oh yeah, there was nights when they were totally on and nights where they were totally not on. And Van Halen was similar to that. But I mean, dude, like listen, Eddie in his, in the early days, like listen back to some of that, some of his live playing. It, it's there's no guitar player that's been better than that, in my opinion. Like right. he was so on fire, and he had so much attitude, and it wasn't just. I mean, and his tone was so clean, and and, and most guys would never be able to play that the kind of stuff he did, got away with with so much aggression and, and just attitude, yeah. and it was it was unbelievable, man. He was a technician. He was a technician, but he was also such a great performer as well. And, uh, and it didn't matter. Like those guys like also were, he didn't have to concentrate. I'm like, dude, how many guitar players, do you know, who could, could smile like Eddie and make it look so easy mm -hmm. and actually like look totally at ease. Cause he was at ease and play the kind of shit he was doing. It was, it was mind boggling. It, just, it was like, he was laughing at all of us. Like you'll never be able to do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you guys unleash in a bit. You guys just go nuts talking about guitars and Eddie's sound and all that sort of stuff. But let's talk about the first time you ever heard Van Halen. And I'll start because I've got a great story. So I I grew up in Winnipeg, uh, and in about 1982, I was taking guitar lessons from Kent's Music, and the, my guitar teacher was a guy called Brad Roberts, who later went on to basically worldwide fame as the singer of Crash Test Dummies. If you remember that mm -mm -mm song, there was this boy. That, that was my old guitar teacher. So I remember uh, he would you, you get the little book when you're a kid, and and it's like you know th like three blind mice, like Bing, 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 <laughs> Bing, Bing, Bing. So, anyways, I would take. I was I was walking home from a lesson, and this is no joke, dude. I was walking home and I saw a guitar pick on the street, and I picked it up. I'll never forget. It was a. I might even still have it. It was a white guitar pick. And one side, it said VH, and the other side, it said Michael Anthony. And I was like, who is this? Like, I, what is a VH, and who is Michael Anthony? I didn't know. So I took it to my next lesson, and I showed it to the Brad, and I'm like, well, who is this? He's like, dude, that's fucking Van Halen. That's Michael Anthony. Who's, he's the bass player. Van Halen is the greatest rock and roll band. Like, well, play, So he played me some something, and I remember thinking, like, how is that – the same thing that I'm playing going bing, bing, bing. Like, how is it even the same thing? Like, it's, it's, it's like, fuck, it's like a completely different other worldly instrument. 
And that's when I became a Van Halen fan. It was right at that cusp before 1984 came out. So I was the perfect demographic for that album and all of the, the, the coolness that followed. So, Billy, how did you first discover Van Halen? I discovered them. I heard them first on the radio. I heard Running With The Devil. And then my buddies were like, uh, you know, we're going to see Van Halen. This was 1980. So it was like, I think it was fair warning to us. So my parents wouldn't let me go, but they were all going. So I was pissed <laughs> off, hating life. But anyway, um, then, you know, after that, they got the, uh, the first record, the Van Halen, the Van Halen's first record. I've, I've got to hear Eruption in my buddy's bedroom. We all were listening to it. And I was just completely blown away. And then I started, you know, I bought the record. And, and then finally I started buying more and more Van Halen records. And, and that's the reason I'm playing guitar today right there. How about you, Russ? Oh, my God. I don't, I don't remember what song I actually heard first because I was, I was pretty young. It was before I played guitar. But I do remember the first time I heard Eruption and somebody played it for me. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And that was obviously, you know, before I, I was playing guitar. But, but uh, you know, I, I can remember actually drawing Van Halen 1 because I was a little <laughs> kid. I remember drawing their faces and the album cover of, of Van Halen 1 because I just thought it looked badass. I didn't know what it was about. It I was like, this is awesome. Like Eddie and every, everybody had a cool pose. David Lee Roth, you know, bending backwards. And I was like, this is so cool. And I didn't even hear the whole record before I, I got into it. But then what I, I mean, as... Time went by. I remember, you know, hearing you, you really got me and, and running with the devil and and, uh, and it was. I mean, man, it's Van Halen. So I mean, like, I don't know anybody who ever heard it and didn't and didn't go. Oh, this is my favorite band. I love these guys. <laughs> what about you? Because because Rich is interesting to me because out of the four players, you're the one guy that doesn't play like Eddie. I'm not saying that anybody plays like Eddie, but your style is much more. John Sykes and David Gilmore and, and, and just one note, milk it for all it's worth, Angus Young style of soloing. But you're also a huge Eddie Van Halen fan. Yeah, and part of it was, for me, I, I think as a young kid, it was what I was basically, you know, I love the package. You know, I love the idea of what Van Halen was as an idea, like as if they were like a religious cult or something. You know, I just love the concept of Van Halen more like I loved ACDC, but ACDC wasn't a cult. ACDC was uh, or or concept or an idea. ACDC was great songs on great albums. But Van Halen was was something that I felt like. I wanted to be like all my friends. I mean, Billy and I grew up in the same town in Charlotte, North Carolina. Every guitar player had Eddie's hairdo. Everybody <laughs> was trying to emulate all of that stuff. So it wasn't just the one, it wasn't just like, obviously like, you know, like Russ said, when, when we, we heard it on the radio, everybody freaked out, but it was amazing how almost like a cult, everyone was, was trying to not only play like, but look like, but for me, I think part of it was I've always been attracted to rhythm playing and Eddie's probably the best rhythm player of all time. And that's bingo. You know, I think a lot of times uh, people fixate on his lead playing and, and they should, because it's, it's amongst the greatest lead players of all time. But what makes him the greatest guitar player of all time is that he is the greatest rhythm guitar player of all time and quite possibly the best lead player. That's the thing about it is there's a lot of guys who are incredible shredders or great rhythm guys. He's one of the few guys that you can actually say could put both things together at such a level that, and I think actually, I've heard a lot of guys play his lead stuff pretty close. I've, I've yet to hear people that can really nail the rhythm stuff because his rhythm stuff is so unique and he doesn't, he doesn't repeat patterns. 
He's like a singer. Like the way he plays rhythm guitar is like a voice, like a guy who doesn't just repeat the same verse melody over. There's licks within the rhythm stuff and his phrasing changes. And that's what I loved about him is that it was exciting. I think that's what Russ was saying is like his playing just had excitement. It just jumped off of it. And part of that was, is that I think his rhythm playing, he was playing rhythm and lead at the same time. Like there were so many licks, yeah. like just single line runs and things within it yeah. that were incredible. And I'm, I think probably the only other guy who was kind of like that was with Hendrix, but, but Hendrix obviously stylistically was way different, but the, but the formula may have been the same where you had a guy who had such a mastery over lead and rhythm playing. That's a great point. People don't fixate on, on Eddie's rhythm playing, um, but it is, it's it, like you said, locking in with Michael Anthony and locking in with, and even with Wolfgang too. Like I watched a lot of those videos last night. Like he was a great fucking boogie rock guitar player, you know, heavy riffs. What well, you guys know, whatever kind of riff it needed. But I always think of almost Van Halen as, as kind of a modern day boogie band as well. Cause they always like, you know, Steve, how did you discover the, the band and Eddie? Uh, 1978, man, it was, uh, you know, a huge year for me and probably a huge year for everybody in the sense of I discovered Kiss Rock and Roll Over and that completely changed my life. Two weeks later, I was down at Musically Yours in uh, Maywood, New Jersey, taking guitar <laughs> lessons and, uh, you know, and I was taking guitar lessons by this guy named Bob and uh, the word got out around, you know, my street because we had a bunch of do, you know, a bunch of guys that were all rock fans. And I remember it walking up the street and this kid, Tommy Walsh, he knew I was a huge Kiss fan as everybody was. And he and he and he goes, Steve, come here. You got to come in my house. You got to listen to this. It's this band called Van Halen and Gene Simmons discovered him. And that was all <laughs> I needed to hear. So I went up and he had the eight track tape of Van Halen one and what I remember vividly is I remember he played running with the devil and hearing the car horns and the, you know, mm-hmm. gone. And it was just fucking perfect. If that isn't the perfect intro to any rock record, I don't know what is. <laughs> to me, it's still the fucking best. And it was just like I was in love. And again, like Russ said, you saw that album cover and you saw those guys and I was like, and I was like, Gene Simmons discovered that, well, they got to be great. <laughs> and then the next thing I know, Eruption comes on. And it was, you know, I was a scene out of a movie. Smoke was coming out of my ears, you know, strobe lights out of my eyes and every emotion. And I think I shit and pissed myself. It was everything all at once. And then I was like, what is that guitar? Is it guitar? Is it a video game? Is it a synthesizer? Is it, I didn't know what it was. And when he got to the end, when he does the tapping part, I I literally almost jumped out the window. I mean, it was that (laughs) powerful. And, you know, I say it with all the love in my heart that that day and from that moment on, I sold my soul to rock and roll and I'm still running with the devil because that (laughs) moment was when basically I told my parents, I was only eight years old at the time. Maybe when I discovered Van Halen, I was nine then, but I was complete like, this is what I'm going to do. This is the coolest thing in the world. And it was all because of Eddie Van Halen and you know, and, you know, look, my life from that moment on was changed as I think all of ours because of that. And uh, it was that powerful and that immediate. 
did you have that attitude too, Billy? Because Billy moved to, to LA when he was 17 with his mom's permission. One of my favorite yeah. stories. My mom wouldn't leave me, let me leave the house at 17. Never mind move across <laughs> the country to Los Angeles. Because you, as Richard always say, you were kind of the gunslinger in Charlotte that could play the Randy Rose and the Van Halen stuff. Was that part of the reason why you went to LA at 17 years old? Was to chase the dream of being Eddie Van Halen? Dude, yeah. What got me, even after eruption, I felt all those emotions, Steve, all those emotions. But even um, after that, I went to see him on the Diver Down Tour, 1982. And they were, they were on that night, dude. They were smoking hot. I mean, the band was on fire. And when I saw Eddie solo and him drop kicking those speakers mm. and just all the awesome fun and showmanship and all, just everything, the whole production of the whole band, the attitude and the fun, that's, a, that's what I'm doing. I, did, I was 12 years old, but I was a little <laughs> bit older there, Steve, but that got me right there, man. That concert right there is, I was definitely in love with Eruption and hearing the, uh, hearing all those songs and then getting the record and really diving deep into it. But then when I saw him in concert the first time on the Diver Down tour, that was a life changer right there, dude. Is there a more iconic image in rock and roll than Eddie Van Halen doing his, you know, his jump in the air? Uh, with one leg split and the, and I mean that if, 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 show me a picture if I'm an alien from from Jendel show me a picture of what rock and roll is that's it Eddie just jumping midair with that fucking I smile mean. and the red and white guitar and oh when's the first time you guys saw I mean, we so we know the first time Billy saw him how about you Steve when's the first time you saw Van Halen it was uh 38 years ago on October 8th uh, on the Diver Down tour wow. Madison Square Garden and you know, Kiss, the original Kiss on the Dynasty tour was my first show in 1979. And uh, and then Van Halen. And that was the moment that I knew that when I started my band, whatever it was gonna be, because I hadn't started Trickster yet, I was playing in garages. But when I saw them, the impact was it was I think what we all spoke about, that party atmosphere, girls throwing their bras up and their fucking panties, <laughs> guys hugging each other. For, you know, <laughs> Madison Square Garden in 1982, as you can imagine, basically smelled like one big joint. And, you know, at 12 years old, I was like, man, this is just too much. But watching them and seeing them interact, how cool they were with each other on stage. And it was like the band was part of the party and they were the party. They were the host of the party. Roth was the ultimate Toastmaster. And it was everything that I wanted to do. And it was, again, that moment where I said, when I start a band, it's going to be just like Van Halen. And it was. How about you, Rich? I went to the same show Billy did. Yeah. We, Billy and I saw every show together. We we weren't we weren't sitting together, but we were there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you guys don't know the story, but uh, Billy was uh, a year a grade younger than me. But he was the like the guy in Charlotte that everybody. And the only reason you would know, and I'm sure it may have been the same for everybody in every every city. You only knew who was good because you went to the local music store, the big music store, and that was where you kind of tested out your chops in front of like. The, and then the guys who worked at the music store were like the dudes. Usually yeah. they were in club bands, and you thought they were rock stars, but but they yeah. really were in just crappy bands. But we all thought they were like the, like they were like yeah. Yoda. <laughs> they were like the great muses. Like so tell me what pedal so just came in. Like and I remember always hearing Billy Gray. You don't know Billy Gray. Yeah. No, I don't know who who's Billy Gray. Dude, he could play Eruption. What? How could he play Eruption? 
Are you kidding me? I'm still working on looks that kill. You got to be kidding me. Like, and Billy was like the local gunslinger in Charlotte, North Carolina. I remember no matter how, whatever band, like little cover band I was in, it was like Billy's band was always better. And then I heard he's like, Billy moved to L.A. To make it in music, what he moved to LA, <laughs> <laughs> and now knowing him is like, yeah. I mean, dude, like, I mean, half the reason why my favorite musicians are the ones that not only are passionate about it, but just said they packed up everything they had and moved into a rehearsal space, or just did whatever it took. Like, I just want to do that. You know, I want to go to a pilgrimage and go to India, and I want to have like total enlightenment, the rock and roll <laughs> version of it. And Billy did it. Like he was the only guy I knew that literally just said, I'm "Going to L.A. What are you going to do in L.A.? I don't know. I'll figure it out." <laughs> Great. How about you, Russell? Was your first Van Halen live live show? I never, I never got to see Van Halen. You believe that? Come on. No, I'm not. not I know. Ever? Never, never got to see him. That's crazy. Oh, isn't, that, isn't that crazy? Your playing is, it, you, like you and Steve are, 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 you guys are Van Halen yeah. disciples. Dude, uh, you know, it's it's funny that, you know, when Van Halen was with Daily Roth era, I was just young enough so that I, it was right when I started to go, go to concerts, that's when they broke up. Right. 84. Era, you know that era, yep. right around that, and then and then Sammy was in the band, and through the late eighties, I didn't really have any interest in seeing Sammy Hagar with Van Halen. And then as the nineties into the nineties, then I started like becoming a working musician myself, and uh, you know for years it was like okay, even when I had opportunities to see them, I would be busy doing a gig or whatever. It just never worked out, and I was going to go see them a few years ago when Daily Roth. Eddie, everybody was back together. It's like, I don't know, eight years ago? Yeah, 2000, 2015 was their last 2015, tour. 2015, yeah. 15. 2015, okay. 2009 was the first one, right? Yeah, and then 15 was the last seven, one. Seven, oh, maybe, maybe it was 2015. Uh, no, it was must have been 2009. Because I, I was going to go to a rehearsal at the Forum. They were having rehearsals at the Forum in L.A. And um, my daughter got really sick on as I was on my way there. And I just I had to turn around and go home. And you know, had, had to go take care of my daughter, and it was that was the only time I was go- going to see Van Halen with Daily Roth, and it would have been, and it, I was so looking forward to it. It was like, oh my god, it's about time, and I had to turn around. So, well, I've got a story that's almost as strange as Russ's. My first Van Halen show because I, they came to Winnipeg in, in the 1984 tour, and I remember the the, the opening van, band was called the Velcros. It was just a local bar band, and I was like, Van Halen always has the worst opening bands why is this i had randy backman from from bto and the guess who on talk is jericho and they toured with van halen on the 5150 tour because yeah. sammy wanted he said I, I need a killer band he said i want you guys to play all hits and he said basically like five minutes after they were done van halen's stuff was ready because he said i don't want any downtime i don't want people to remember that roth isn't in this band so i want you guys to go Play taking care of business and let it ride and freaking, you know, down the highway and play your best shit. And he said that Roth was notorious for always wanting bands that weren't names so that they could get all the merch money. You know, they didn't need any help. So they're just like, we'll put the Velcros on the bill. (laughs) (laughs) So I remember the Velcros and Van Halen came. And for some reason, I didn't go and I don't know why. And then, like you said, Russ, they broke up. So I saw Dave in concert twice in, in Winnipeg. But Sammy and Van Halen never came to Winnipeg. And and so the, my first ever 
Van Halen concert, seeing Eddie Van Halen live in person, was at the Hard Rock Cafe in Orlando on the Van Halen 3 tour with Gary Sharon on vocals. What? And I knew the bouncer at the Hard Rock, and I was literally looking at Eddie's crotch. I remember he was wearing black dress pants and a white muscle shirt, and I was fucking standing this far away. And I'll tell you what, once again, you can bag on that lineup. They kicked ass, man. They were, they were fucking great. They were really good. But just standing right in front of Eddie Van Halen. And I remember thinking, oh, this must be like, as we call it now in the biz, it's an underplay. Like they're just here as like a, you know, they're doing a club tour just to warm up. And then I realized there's no underplay. This is where they're at now. This is the mighty Van Halen playing the Hard Rock Cafe in Orlando in front of, you know, 2,500 people or whatever it holds. But it, it was a great show. But that was my first ever Van Halen experience. And it was like, oh, my gosh, like. Even Van Halen is kind of going downhill in this crazy 90s period, you know? Hey, it's Mike Portnoy here, still in shock and disbelief over the passing of King Edward. And, uh, you know, Eddie Van Halen was more than just a musician. He was uh, an innovator and a pioneer and a game changer. Very few guitar players or musicians for, on any instrument come around that uh, kind of redefined the instrument and uh, changed the game entirely. And as far as uh, in the guitar world, I would say Jimi Hendrix was surely a game changer. And then came Eddie Van Halen. When, when he came around, it completely changed the landscape entirely of what you could do with your instrument. And, and I don't know if there's many guitar players since that have really changed the game the way that Eddie Van Halen did. First time I saw Van Halen, uh, I was actually a fan uh, starting in the early 80s. You know, the first four albums in particular were huge for me. And uh, my first band that I played with uh, in junior high school, Intruder, pretty much we were covering, you know, all the stuff from the first four or five Van Halen albums. But I didn't get to see them live for the first time until the 1984 tour. And, uh, of course, it was incredible. And I pretty much saw them on every tour ever since then. And uh, last time I got to see them was on this last tour they did, 2015. And um, that was the first time I I met Eddie. And I I went backstage and and met him and Alex and Wolfgang, you know, showed me around and introduced me to everybody. And I actually got to go up and play Alex's drums. But uh, meeting Eddie for the first time was was incredible because... uh, you know, he was just so genuine and cool. You know, usually people on that level of, uh, you know, fame aren't always that welcoming. But Eddie welcomed us into his dressing room and hung out with us and was just such a warm, sweet guy. And, uh, of course, he, he played incredible on that last tour. He was just in great shape and uh, playing great and looking great. So uh, it was nice that he went out on top you know, with a, a final tour with Dave and playing great and sounding great. As far as picking a favorite song or solo, really anything off those first four albums. Uh, I like the deeper cuts. You know, if you listen to like Women and Children first, I love uh, Tora Tora and Loss of Control and Fools and um, Romeo Delight. You know, Fair Warning is just filled with so much great stuff, uh, obviously on Chain and Mean Street. And I even like the deeper cuts on that album, like One Foot Out the Door, and then even uh, on the, the 1984 album, there's some really cool deep cuts as well. 
Drop Dead Legs and Girl Gone Bad. But, you know, Eddie had all these great solos, uh, not with it, not only within the songs, but obviously, you know, just guitar solos on each album. You know, he, he established it with Eruption. Eruption was the complete game changer. Then on the second album, he, you know, turned off the electronics and, and played an acoustic and just blew everybody's mind with Spanish Fly. And then, uh, you know, as each, and each album had something new that he would introduce, you know, in terms of uh, changing the landscape of guitar. You know, uh, Fair Warning begins with, uh, you know, the, the beginning of Mean Streets with them doing this crazy tapping thing. And, um, and then on Diver Down, you had Cathedral with him playing, uh, you know, with volume swells. So he just, each and every time, was bringing new stuff to the table and always just completely innovating the instrument. Let's talk a little bit about Eddie's sound. Uh, I want you guys to explain to me and explain to, to people listening, what is his defining brown sound? What does that mean? How does he get it? You guys are all guitar nerds. Open the forum. <laughs> I'll let I'll let Steve go first because uh, Steve's surrounded by brown sound amps behind. Him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think it just comes down to as guitar players, we all know this. You know, the, there's no magic box. There's no whatever amp you play through. We all know the story. It comes from your hands. And anybody that's yeah. ever met Eddie Van Halen has seen him. The guy had huge hands. I remember mm. the first time I met him, he shook his hand. He fucking almost ripped my arm off. <laughs> you know, and, and that's the way. So that sound comes from comes from his hands. You know, if if I played through Eddie's rig or Eddie played through my rig, it would sound like Eddie Van Halen and vice versa. We all know the story. Ted Nugent told it years ago, back in 79, when they did a show together or something. And he, all, he, all Ted wanted to do was play through Eddie's rig because it's this magic thing, which all it was was a Marshall with a pedal board that was a piece of plywood with effects taped to it, a Phase 90 and, a, and an EQ boost pedal. Ted Nugent plugs in his guitar into Eddie's rig, and you know what? It sounded just like Ted Nugent. Mm-hmm. So getting to Eddie's the thing, the brown sound, the thing about Eddie's tone was is that above and beyond his hands and the way he hit the strings, he was able to just make his sound. It always sounded warm. It was crunchy and it was distorted, but it never hurt your ears. And it was every to me, every frequency was in the right place. Still to this day, if you to me the beginning of you really got me when he plays that riff and that's that guitar soloed that is the greatest rock guitar rhythm rock guitar sound ever and it's probably the one that all of us have been searching for forever to and that's just my opinion and if i was to tell if someone was to ask me what is a rock guitar supposed to sound like that's it right there above and beyond everything else because to me everything he's ever done and just like you said chris thanks for giving props to the gary sharon era because i love some of the stuff that was on that record and i thought ed's playing on that record and on his tour was some of his best he kind of he kind of stepped up his game because he knew with a new singer third lead singer he had to be at his best and anybody who saw that tour eddie i think was pretty much 
as close to probably the mid 80s because for me 1982 the diver down tour i think that was van halen at their ultimate best mm. and especially eddie's playing and so you know that that's it to me man that that sound where it's like the perfect nothing hurts it's got the perfect amount of low end the perfect amount of crunch and it just makes you feel good you know if you were to ask eddie eddie would what steve said is i agree 100 percent because i think even nuno betancourt said the exact same thing like playing through nuno's rig it just didn't sound like nuno's rig it sounded like eddie right but eddie eddie was a lot like tom schultz in that he was a tinkerer and he was a bit of, uh, he was the Elon Musk of kind of guitar playing and that for him, there was magic to be found in amplifiers and voltage and specific tubes and how, and how he, how he kind of, matter of fact, there's an entire kind of cult of people who search for those things. And the, the, one of the things that he, he did that was kind of part of that magic was back then, those old amps, those old Marshall Plexi amps, guys turned them all the way up because that's where the magic happened is when they were dimed, everything was where everything was wide open. But what he would do is he put a voltage variac on it. So he would turn the voltage of the amp down, which made the amp quieter. But it also created this kind of sag where the amp actually had this. Um, there was a, a lot less of that kind of initial uh, hit. There was a, a, actually a little bit of sponge to it. And that's kind of part of that magic of his thing is where, again, it would, it wouldn't sound, it wouldn't sound that way if I played through it. But as we all know, like Dimebag or any of these guys who had these unique special sounds, they, they cultivated the sound based on what they heard in their head. So they were tinkering with amplifiers and he was putting, you know, Gibson pickups Pick and Stratocasters yeah. and mm -hmm. modifying yeah. because he loved the way a Stratocaster sounded, but he also liked the sound of the, of the humbucker that came in a Gibson. So he was constantly, <laughs> yeah, he was constantly tinkering. And I think the same way we all do, right? Like, it's just that he was just like the pinnacle of all that stuff. Like, we, we all are kind of lucky because by the time all of us came around, you could get modifications for JCM 800 Marshalls pretty easy. Back before when there was just him, there was like two or three amp guru guys in the whole world. Like, and, and I know Eddie was working with some of them, but he would then also do some of the work himself, which was great. And I, I think there was a great story that Greg, one of his kind of biographers told a story on, on, I think you guys shared it with me on. Uh, Steve shared it. Yeah. Yeah. It was brilliant about how Eddie went over to his house and found this to old Temple, No, it was to Ted Templeman's house. That's right. Ted Templeman, yeah. Found that old mid-60s Melody Maker guitar, you know, and he picked it up and it was unplayable. And Eddie just couldn't stand to see a guitar that was unplayable. He goes, do you have a Phillips head screwdriver? And he just <laughs> fixed the guitar and played it until it, like, played great. And I think that's the magic of guys like him and Tom Schultz who, like, to them – you know, tone was a religion and it, and their tone wasn't for everybody, but they were constantly seeking. And then his tone changed. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, I mean, you listen to a different kind of truth. It was different from the tone that was on 5150, which was the yes. different than the yeah. tone that was on the early records. And I think for him, he was constantly looking for new ways to challenge himself and to do the Jericho to continue to reinvent mm -hmm. himself. 
And yeah, I think yeah. that was the magic of Eddie. He, you know, one day he's wearing, wearing bell bottoms. The next day he's wearing MC Hammer pants. The next day, <laughs> like, he was like, you know, he was our David Bowie. You know, he, he was constantly, there were different versions of him and his guitar sound was the same. Russ, go ahead, buddy. Oh, man, I'll, I'll tell you, when I listen to like Van Halen 1 and, you know, you can hear the guitar on one side, you know, more, like more coming out yes. of the left side or whatever. And it makes me so jealous because it still sounds huge. I don't know that ma- I don't know anybody else who was able to fill up a record with one guitar, with one guitar. Right. I mean, for for me, like like I do a record. It's like if I do a rhythm track, it's like oh, I have to double it because it's like I just wanted I want to make it sound bigger. But th- that was part of the beauty of Van Halen, like like just one guitar, one side. I'm not even going to overdub licks on top of this. I'm just going to do in my rhythm part, I'm going to throw a couple of licks in where I'm going to, you know, and it's so, it sounds so natural and so improvised. And maybe, it, maybe some of it was, I'm sure some of it was improvised, but some of it probably wasn't as well, but you couldn't tell because it all felt so right. You know what I mean? It was like a direct line to what he was feeling coming out of his fingers. And, um, you know, it's just amazing to listen to how big that one guitar could sound on that re- on on a record like that, and I don't think anybody's ever done anything close since, as far as guitar tone goes. That's like to have one guitar sound that massive without having a, a double or anything. It's just crazy. You know, it's it's funny because I, my first car was a '76 Volari, and uh, you guys probably should you have to Google it. <laughs> and I remember we put it in a stereo. Cause I, yeah, I bought it for 400 bucks and I had like, you know, a couple hundred bucks from whatever the hell job I had at the time. And I bought a stereo and we put it in, installed it ourselves. Well, I didn't do shit. My friend did it cause he was good at that stuff. But sometimes the right speaker would go out and you'd hit it. Like literally it's like hitting it. Sometimes it works. And I remember I had the cassette for Van Halen one and like, wait, Russ wait, just, wait, that's how you fix things. You just hit it. Yeah. Just try and hit stuff. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> the Fonz. <laughs> The Fonz technique. <laughs> I tried to fix Satchel's personality a few times on tour, just punch you a couple of times and nothing changed. But I, I, you, know, you, you slammed the thing down. But, but my point is that when that speaker went out, all you would hear was what was going on on the right if the left was out. And I believe that that's, is that mono? No, that's stereo, right? Channel H. So all you would hear, I, the whole Van Halen one album when I was that age all I ever heard were drums and bass and vocals because Eddie's side was out. And like Russ said, there's no double tracking. It's like, here's Eddie, here's Mike, the drums are somewhere else, the vocals. So all that stuff, I had a very interesting experience with all those songs because I heard them all with just bass, drums, and vocals. <laughs> hey, this is Frankie Kazarian. And um, just like everybody else out there that's a massive fan of rock and roll music. I was pretty devastated when I learned of uh, Eddie Van Halen's passing at the age of 65. I first discovered Van Halen pretty early on. I I had a friend who had two uh, older high school age brothers, and they were huge metalheads, or as we used to call them, Hessians. At least that's what we called them out here. Uh, And they they were constantly blasting everything from Sabbath to Maiden to Priest to Metallica to, of course, Van Halen. So I was very aware of their music early on. But the first time I remember seeing them when I was maybe five years old, and uh, it was on uh, it was on MTV, of course, uh, and it was the video for Jump. And I know that song in particular was very polarizing because it had the keyboards 
uh, but I loved it. I was really young. I loved it and I was hooked. And after seeing the video and seeing Eddie play guitar and seeing Dave do jump splits and everything, it was just so cool. So Van Halen was always really present in my life, but it wasn't until I got a little bit older and started learning how to play an instrument myself that I really began to dive into all of Van Halen's catalog and realize just how incredibly special and, and how unique of a guitar player Eddie really was. He was constantly evolving. Uh, he was constantly outdoing himself with every record. You know, the term often imitated, never duplicated gets thrown around a lot, but I think when it comes to Eddie Van Halen, that's pretty apropos. He has to be the most influential guitarist of his generation, hands down. And for my money, Van Halen's the greatest American rock and roll band there is. My band, Gutter Candy, covers a bunch of different Van Halen songs, and every one of them uh, is a crowd pleaser every time we play it. Eddie's famous for his solos, and he had so many great ones. But my favorite, personally, has to be either Hot for Teacher or Beat It. People may or may not know that Eddie Van Halen did the solo for Beat It. And both of those, all of the solos are great. Those two in particular are awesome. It's hard not to include Eruption into that. But, you know, we we, we truly lost a, a guitar god. And uh, I'm sad. I mourn just like all of you do. And my heart goes out to, to Wolfie and Alex and Eddie's wife and Valerie, and uh, to all of you. Let's talk about, and this might only apply to Steve, but maybe we all have some stories of personally meeting the members of Van Halen, uh, whichever lineup that might be. And I'll, I have a really good one, and I'll start off, and, and, and I know Steve has plenty, and maybe Rich and Billy and, and, and Satchel do as well. But so in 2004, Van Halen did a reunion tour with Sammy, which was not good because Eddie was off his rocker. And this is the thing, too, about Eddie. Like, listen, we all love Eddie Van Halen, but the guy was a troubled genius, as most geniuses are. He had his ups and downs, and he had his... Substance, you know, all his issues that he had, his demons, whatever. If you remember on that tour, the 2004 reunion, he was very, he was, he was like Bruce Lee. He was ripped and he was cut up, but his teeth were kind of fucked up. And he, he wore his hair in a samurai bun. And if you read Sammy's book, he says when Eddie wore the samurai bun hair, that's when you knew that he was messed up. So we go beforehand, and, and Sammy's a great guy, and, and they're all great guys, I'm sure, but my uh, uh, experiences with Sammy and Mike were always, they're very cool guys. Sammy loves wrestling. He loves boxing. So we got to go backstage to hang out with Sammy and Mike in their room, and there was literally almost like a, I'm just sounding like Rich Ward now, literally almost like a yellow and black <laughs> caution tape, like do not enter, and that's where the Van Halen brothers were, were in that side of the arena. But Sammy and Mike was like, it was Van Halen, dude. It was tequila shots and great times. And I'm envisioning, there wasn't, but I'm envisioning chicks in bikinis and, and little people and giants and giraffes. <laughs> and I was like, how cool is this that I'm taking a shot of tequila with fucking Sammy Hagar before a Van Halen show? So he says to me, during Eddie's solo, come down and hang out with me under the stage. He goes, trust me. You're not going to want to see it. And I'm like, okay, Sammy Hager, I'll come down and hang out with you under the stage during a 20 minute guitar solo, which, Hey, I'm not a guitar player. I'm sure you guys, I was like, I'd rather go hang out with Sammy. So we went down me and my cousins, Chad and Todd, you get, yeah, Rich knows him and Billy knows him. Yeah. And we went under the stage and uh, there was lava lamps and beanbag chairs. And Sammy had uh, tequila. So we took some shots 
And and Sammy goes, yeah, Eddie's having a rough time with these solos, man. And I was like, really? So we left after about, you know, let's say it's 20. We left at 18 minutes. As so we were walking back up to our seats, Eddie finishes his solo and he comes up to the microphone and goes, well, that was the shits. <laughs> and they come back on stage and I was like, oh my gosh, like what's wrong with him? You know, not knowing exactly what was wrong with him, but I'll never forget Sammy going, you're not going to want to see this. Like, I'm not going to want to see Eddie Van Halen's solo, like the greatest ever. And it's like, he was in a rough spot during that time frame. But it makes for a great story, and I did get to hang out with Van Halen underneath the stage. So it was cool. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, has anybody else? And Steve, you can go last because you had a personal relationship with that. Has anybody else have any? Did anybody? Did any other other guys meet anybody from Van Halen ever? Any kind of stories at all? Well, I can tell you right now. Uh, you know, when when it were, I was in the the uh, Van Halen tribute with with Michael, uh, we and that we was the Atomic Punks, right? Yeah, the, the Atomic Punks, and we, we were playing at the. Uh, I think we played a show at um, the House of Blues in Anaheim. And uh, Michael Michael Anthony wanted to come down, so he he he, uh, he brought his own bass, and he and he had a uh, had his tech there. And uh, I, uh, at some point, we had we brought Michael Anthony out on stage, and we I think we did like five or six songs with him. And and uh, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to meet him, but he's a, he's a great best guy. guy. I thought he was so cool, so sweet. And he had such a great time and he sang so good. It was so much fun for me personally because I got to actually pretend I was Eddie for, for five songs <laughs> and actually rock with Michael Anthony and like have, you had that experience. But that's the closest I ever got to be, to be, to, 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 you know, to being, seeing what it was like to be Eddie Van Halen for a second. But <laughs> it lasted a brief moment. Rich, Billy, you ever have any encounters with Van Halen? The, oh, the closest thing I had was, um, a friend of mine's girlfriend and her friend met Michael Anthony in the elevator. They came straight to my house to let me know. And I was so jealous that I wasn't there. And they were like, oh, he kissed us. And, you know, yeah, he gave us this and that. He told us he's going to get us backstage and blah, blah. I was just, I was the most jealous person in the world that I wasn't there. <laughs> but that's as close I ever came. I really wanted to meet Eddie so bad and never got to meet any of them. So, but that's my only encounter, right? Rich? Yeah, we, we met him once. We met... Um, at Nam. We met Michael Anthony at Nam. That's, that's exactly right. That's that's upstairs. Yes, we did. Yeah. He had his daughter with him and he was just the nicest no, guy. He was super nice, yeah. That's the, only one, the only guy Van Halen ever met was Michael Anthony. And I, I remember how excited I was. But he, like you guys were saying, such an understated, like, would actually talk to you, like, you know, whatever un uncomfortability everybody had, because it was Michael Anthony, and he would ask you questions like, I think he's talking to you, man, you better answer. Like, like yes, sir, Mike, that's like when people talk to me, yes, sir, Mr. Michael Anthony, you have to call him by both. <laughs> but he, I remember on the first Jericho cruise, one of the guys who was the techs, uh, one of the techs was, was a friend of Michael, and he actually said, hey, I got, hey, 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 I got a message for you from Michael Anthony. Well, he goes, congratulations on the cruise and, uh, and you know, hope hope to see you soon or something. I was like, really? Like, really? He knows who I am? He's like, oh, fuck yeah. He's excited for you or whatever he said. And I was like, either the guy was making it up, but why would you make up that Michael Anthony gave you a message? Like, he would go for yeah. Dave Lee Roth or, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know Robert Plant or something. <laughs> but I said, what a, what a cool guy to send along a message from somebody he met for 30 seconds you know, at the NAM show, but Steve, you've got a lot of great, I mean, you've played it for me before and, and, and I'd, I'd love to, to maybe incorporate if you want me to, but Steve has a great voice message from Eddie Van Halen on his, what? on his phone. 
Uh, you had a relationship with Eddie, Steve. How did that start? And then tell us about it. Yeah, well, it goes like this. You know, here it is. Be careful. You know, I, when I was a kid, they always used to say, I used to hear this saying, be careful when you meet your heroes, if you get to meet your heroes, because they'll probably let you down. And all I can say is I met Eddie Van Halen January of 1991 at the NAMM show out in California. He was doing a private show with Steve Morse and Albert Lee when he was uh, doing, he launched his new guitar line with Music Man. And um, I met his uh, guitar tech again, like I said, his best friend and his guitar tech back at the time, this guy, Matt Bruck, who became like a brother to me and a dear, dear friend. And he was from Philly and he knew Trickster was number one on MTV. We were, you know, kicking ass at that point. And he goes, hey, man, I want you to come. I know you're a huge Ed fan. I want you to meet him. We're doing this thing at the Marriott. So he brings me in and I'm standing on stage and I remember looking at Eddie's rig. He had the prototype of the PV 5150 and he had a Soldano amp. And I'm like, holy shit. And all of a sudden, Ed comes walking in. He's wearing glasses. I have a picture of it, you know, and there's pictures of that night. And uh, he comes walking in for sound check and I'm sitting, my heart's racing. I'm like, there he is. You know, and he, he walks up and I just was immediately struck. He introduced himself to everybody, every crew guy, the monitor guy. And he said, hey, I'm Ed, I'm Ed. And uh, he walks <laughs> up to me, me and Matt are standing there. And he comes up to Matt and Matt goes, hey, Ed, I want you to meet. I want you to meet Steve. He's in this band uh, Trickster and they're doing really well. And Ed, you know, he has that look and he goes, he goes, Trickster, he goes, you guys, you guys got those cool videos. You're riding dirt bikes. Because <laughs> Valerie saw it. And I'm like, you know, dude, what a, what an intro, you know, like, and yeah. you know, it's just incredible. And he was so warm. And I just want to say for everybody that's never met him. And I told the guys before this, if he was on this podcast with us right now, if he was still alive, he is just like us in the sense he's a normal, regular guy. And forget that he's the most important rock and roll musician ever, in my opinion. But he's that guy. And he was. And he showed that to me. And he was just so cool. And he showed me the amp. He's like, come here, man. Let me show you this amp. And then, you know, and that's how the relationship started. And then in March of uh, that of 1991, Trickster Record went gold. And after taking care of my family and whatnot, my first order of business was to send my hero and the guy that gave me the inspiration and everything, every drive that I had to do this was Eddie Van Halen. I sent him a gold record out to rehearsals. They were rehearsing oh, for, the, uh, for the fuck tour, for their unlawful <laughs> karma knowledge. I sent him out a gold record and I wrote this really long letter and, you know, not really long, but a postcard. And at the end of it, it said, without you and your music, I could never have achieved any of this. So fast forward. October 91, we're backstage at the Meadowlands. They're playing two nights on the, on the uh, you know, for Unlawful Carnal Knowledge Tour. Allison Chains is opening up. I'm in his dressing room, tuning room, and, you know, we're talking, and he, and, he, and he grabs me. He goes, Steve, come here. He goes, I wanted to thank you. I never got to thank you for the gold record. He goes, man, yeah, the record was cool and, and shit, but he goes, that note you wrote, that meant the world to me. And that just goes to show you, and I could go on for hours about the experiences that I've had with him because... It's incredible. And I have probably 15 messages. He used to call my house at two o'clock in the morning and, you know, Steve, you're home. Uh, you, you got a gig, <laughs> don't you? And, you know, my wife, Cosette, would be out. She would go with like her sisters to see Van Halen shows. And, you know, Ed would go, where's Steve? And, oh, he's gigging. And so he'd call and leave messages. So luckily I was able to save those. But 
I'm just going to leave it with this. Again, the greatest, most regular guy, a family guy, loved his family and his friends. And if you were on the inside, and the coolest thing they always said to me was, Steve, you're family. You know, you never have to knock on the door. You need tickets, you call me. You know, I think, Chris, I showed you that plaque that I have where he wrote out all of his phone numbers. And yeah. he's got, you know, he, he's got the, you know, the box. This is the, you know, because he had in 5150, he had the old school answering machine with the tape. And he goes, <laughs> you know, make sure you always leave a message because that's what I listen to. I always check the tape. But, um, well, you know, so again, between going to rehearsals, going to the studio, you know, I was at 5150 with Matt Brock the day we signed our renegotiation deal with MCA Records. We got a million dollars, right? And wow. I'm in with the lawyer, you know, with the lawyer and my manager were sitting at the universal offices. And I'm like, man, this is pretty fucking cool. You know, we just renegotiate a million dollar deal. And then Matt calls me and said, hey, man, you want to come up to the studio? Ed and Val were on vacation, but Ed said it was cool to bring me up. So I got to go to 5150 by myself. You know, I drove my rental car up and, and Matt <laughs> let me in and I got to hang out at 5150. I played all the guitars, the Frankenstein, the Bumblebee, <laughs> the Shark. I haven't got to see the, the snake guitar and everything else you can imagine. And then it gets even cooler because then Matt goes, oh, we got to go take care of the dogs. He brings me in the real house, <laughs> Ed's house. And I'm like, oh, man, I got to go to the bathroom. And he goes, oh, just go over there. So I go into the bathroom to do my business and I'm sitting down and I look over and I see Valerie's chair from one day at a time, you know, the, like the wooden chair with her name on chair. it. Yeah. And I'm like, this is... <laughs> and then, so, you know, it was just one of those days Matt showed me the, uh, the, the racquetball court that he had in his house and the racquetball court, he had to build that in the, in the studio city house so he could get the coat, the variant, whatever it is, the permit, to build the studio or to keep the studio because there was some stuff where home studios were really frowned upon. So, and it was just mind blowing. And like, I remember getting back to the hotel that night and calling my parents and my mother going, so Steve, how was your day? And I kind of just said to her, mom, you wouldn't believe this if I told you. I just got a million bucks to make a record and I was at 5150. And then- so Best then, day ever. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, again, you know, it was, you never at eight years old discovering Van Halen think you're going to be doing these things. But I was blessed because of being around great people and the great person that Ed Van Halen is and Matt Brook, especially, you know. And so then fast forward, we're finishing up the second tricks the record here. You know, we're fucking living like rock stars, come off a huge first record. We're living in LA, mixing the record and staying at uh, the, what, what was it? The, um, La Duffy, which turned into what was the big hotel that's still there now it's whatever where we had rental Merced, rental mustangs and i get a call from matt hey man you want to come out to ed's malibu house he wants you to come play volleyball we do this thing you know where we play volleyball on weekends i'm like uh let me think about that yeah i had a photo <laughs> session i had a photo session later that day with william hames and um 
So we go out to the house and here it is. I'm at Ed's Malibu house. He comes walking up. He's got a, a golf visor on. He's got a cooler full of Beck's beer, smoking a cigarette. And he comes over and he grabs, he's like grabbing me, grabbing my hair. All right, you long hairs ready to play volleyball. And you know, next thing I know, I'm on the beach playing val- volleyball with Valerie Bertinelli. Wolfgang is about one and a half years old. He's walking around in a diaper. Val's mother-in-law, Barbara, was taking care of him again it was like i can't i can't believe (laughs) this is happening and then we finished the game and then the next thing i know me and ed are sitting up on his deck looking out at the pacific ocean drinking a beck's beer smoking cigarettes i don't even smoke cigarettes but ed's like here he just hands me a cigarette and lights it and i'm sitting there like this he's next to me drinking a beer and i just went i can't fucking believe this and he goes to me so steve how's your record coming yes and i you know and we just were shooting the shit and him and alex and andy johns they were working on the van halen live record the summer of 1992 they were doing that so me and him were just going back and forth about making a record and it was again what i tell everybody that Ed Van Halen was just the nicest, coolest guy, and he never treated anybody below him. I was just another musician, another guitar player, and we were talking about, I was bitching about mastering, you know, that they mastered the single and it was too bright. And he goes, yeah, man, I fucking hate that, you know? And it was like, unbelievable. And then after that, then I get, you know, I get the, I hear this voice, guys, come in for lunch. I made turkey chili. So Valerie brings us inside and she makes turkey chili with us. And I'm sitting <laughs> in his kitchen eating turkey chili at Eddie Van Halen's house. And, uh, you know, and Valerie, of course, we know is now a world famous chef and cookbook author. And I always, you know, tell her a couple times afterwards, I always told her, I said, I told my wife about you making turkey chili. And, uh, you know, we still, every time, so every time I eat chili or turkey chili, I think of that moment. But there were so many times like that. And he was just such, again, it was that thing of being on the inside, Matt Bruck, Adam Reaver, myself, and, you know, other guys. And, you know, Van Halen's production manager at the time during the 80, the late 80s, early 90s is this guy, Frank Stetler, who grew up in my town. My father was his English teacher in mm-hmm. high school, along with another guy you guys might have heard of, Howard Ungeleiter, who was Rush's tour manager. For years. Uh, Howard Ungeleiter lived three houses away from my grandparents. <laughs> So it, it's just, you know, the whole Van Halen thing was kind of like, you know, when you think about fate, where you're going to meet somebody and then become friends with them. And and then fast forward to, you know, I'll end it on this because I could go on and on for hours. But even at Ed's worst, let's say on that 2004 tour, and I was at a lot of the shows and I, my wife and I and I would be in the tuning room with him. Even at his worst, there were moments where the old Ed and the happy guy, he would just snap out of it. And we would do like a joke, you know, where we would do this thing where I would do the Sammy Davis Jr. You know, he signed a guitar to me and he wrote, ouch, babe. And that was our thing. We love that. Hey, man, you're a kooky cat and I dig you, man. Ouch, babe. You know, <laughs> ouch. And we would do that back and forth. Steve Lukather, too, man. You know, the Sammy Davis thing, but there were always moments, even at his worst, he still had a good heart. He was just tortured. And um, then later on, the last time I saw him was on the 2015 tour, that great picture I have with him. And that was right when I got back from doing another set of Def Leppard dates. And um, 
you know, I, he just got done with sound check and he came right over to me. He gave me a big hug and a kiss. And he said, Steve, I'm so proud of you, man. Matt showed me the pictures from Wembley when I played Def Leppard, you know, Wembley Stadium with Def Leppard. He sent me one of his, that guitar I'm using is one of his guitars because they couldn't make me one in time. Like the, the EVH Les Paul style that I have back there. He sent me one of his and I used two of his actual guitars for those first round of Def Leppard shows. And that was the last time I actually really hung with them. And then when I did the, the, la the last shows with Leopard in 2018, when I filled in for Phil, Matt sent me a message because I sent him a picture of me playing the Wolfgang with Van Halen, you know, and he was just so happy, you know, that I was finally, you know, I mean, of course, under terrible circumstances, but saving the day for Def Leopard, playing his guitar, playing those iconic solos. And it was just really cool. But at the end of the day, Ed Van Halen loved his family. He loved his friends and he loved his son Wolfgang more than anything in the world. And that's the true test of a great man, how much you love your kids and your family. Yeah, you're right, Steve. And once again, like great hearing all these stories. And there's one more I want to ask you about but before we get there. I got a couple more questions and I want to ask the panel, shall we speak? What do you think the lasting legacy of Edward Van Halen is going to be? And I, I want to start with this because once again, when I did the DJ set, um, unserious and i'm really glad they asked me because i went i went rogue dude because i'm 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 one of those guys that when i'm a fan of, of a band i'm not a, i'm a fan of everything i love blaze bailey iron maiden i love freaking you know you name it whatever it is i'm in and so when you're talking about van halen here's the song to me that changed everything for the band and it changed music as we know it beat it michael jackson calls eddie to play the guitar solo eddie doesn't think it's real you guys know the story quincy who quincy jones f off shows up plays the solo a and also b changes the rhythm for the guitar solo in the background they just wanted him to solo over ban out now ban out now he goes there's nothing to do so he changed it ban out now ban out now whatever whatever the rhythm is he changed it all and did it for free didn't get songwriting credit but here's what he did that's when eddie a amalgamated and michael too michael jackson as well michael jackson and eddie van halen amalgamated hard rock and pop music for the first time ever and now every pop music superstar throw them at me pink miley cyrus freaking justin bieber you give it to me they've all got a shredder on guitar rap garth brooks whoever that was the first. Rihanna has a uh, uh, Nuno on guitar. Nuno, yep. He was the first guy uh, with Michael to create this vibe of we can combine these two. Prior to this, never was allowed to do this, and that's when Eddie Van Halen went from being the guitar player of, of, of Van Halen to an iconic pop culture figure. And I think Eddie changed so much for guitar players. We talked earlier about Van Halen being the epitome of what party rock is, but I think that the, the lasting impression is that he changed pop music as well and did it for free. <laughs> so that's my, I, it, once again, what a visionary and, and what an amazing guy to, to, to be involved with all these things. Billy, what's the lasting impression that you think Eddie has uh, on pop culture for the rest of time? Okay, let's see. To me, in his style of playing, um, it would be the fact that, like, okay, back then everybody was, as far as musicians, everybody was doing blues licks and, you know, 
in in and all that. But he brought in the uh, the two hand tapping thing for guitar. Okay, Good point. Yeah, and that's one thing that he took to the next level. Was like adding another finger on the fretboard with your right hand, other than you know you know what I'm saying, and yep. adding those extra notes, doing them in key and doing them with effects like phase and flange like nobody's done before. And that to me would be like, that's his, like his defining thing is the two hand tapping thing is, is like, that's the climax of eruption is the two hand tapping thing. So that to me is what, I, if that makes any sense, it does. Yeah, that, that would be my answer for, for that right there. Steve, what do you think? Um, I think, well, the music, of course, you know, uh, we wouldn't be here talking about Ed Van Halen if it wasn't for the song. So, Again, what what Rich said about Ed being the greatest rhythm player in the world, you know, rock rhythm player, I fully agree with that. And even better than his lead playing because he wrote those songs and songs are everything. And that's something that um, for all the kids out there listening to, and especially in this day and age of all these shred guitar players, man, slow down a little bit and work on writing songs because that's when you're really going to make the biggest impact. And Ed Van Halen, look, just like what you said, Chris, you know, look at 1983 when he did the Beat It solo. And then what came after that? What came after? Jump. If Jump isn't a complete game changer for pop music, rock music, everything in the world, leave it to Eddie Van Halen to completely change it all and change everything, you know, off playing on an Overheim keyboard. So I think for me, look, the guitar playing, the gear, the innovations, all that is huge and it's just incredible, but it goes back to the song. And, you know, I, I know speaking, you know, hanging with him and talking about songs and he would always tell me that, man, he would be like, you know, because he'd brush off everything. It's just, ah, man, that's just, you know, he'd go, you know how I did that, you know, and he, he most important was songwriting for him because he knew that and he got that early on. And I got it. We got to give a shout out here. One guy who I don't think we would also be having this conversation if it wasn't for Ted Templeman. Yeah. Yeah. And not only for signing Van Halen and signing Van Halen because of the brilliance that he saw in Edward Van Halen, but he was the one person who heard Ed warming up and said, what is that? We need to record that. Told Don Landy, we'll stop what we're doing, put up another mic, do whatever we need to do, and we need to record this. And they recorded that in two takes, and Ed still, you know, till, till the day passed, still maintains that he made a mistake in there. And he always, he always- Interruption? Said, I could, yeah, eruption. He recorded eruption. Ted Templeman was the man responsible for that. And so again- those moments but uh, you know for me the defining moment of van halen is just the songs and the catalog that goes from van halen one all the way to the end because even on a different kind of truth even some of the songs that weren't the 76 77 demos the newer stuff that they wrote there were still some great songs on there so from beginning to end it was great great music and great memorable songs that we'll have for the Agreed. rest of our lives. Agreed. Satchel, what's your thoughts, buddy? Agree. I, I think the, the songs stand the test of time. There's, there's no doubt about it. But I, I think, you know, you're talking about legacy. I mean, we live in an age now where people have devalued songs and music in general to the point where 
you know, people want everything for free and, and that's going to have a lasting effect on, on where music goes. I mean, like, I don't know if anybody's going to be writing songs 20 years from now. Yeah. Cause there's just no, there's no reason to write songs anymore. And because of that, like, you know, and there's no way to get on radio anymore. There's no, like all of that, that era is gone. That we're not looking at that era anymore. So the era of recorded music lasted about 50 years. I don't know. 50 mm-hmm. years, and it's done. Like all the great bands, all the great artists are going to be from that period. And like a thousand years from now, when after like the fourth nuclear war, when people, <laughs> when people start to pick through like, a time period where there was like recorded music and they start to listen to, to all, all that, that that'll be like Eddie Van Halen was not just like at the peak. Like I think that that time period around the eighties was there were so many great songs being written and Van Halen was certainly right at the top of them, but also his, it, it was a time when bands played together, like pe- people, you know, created together. They got in a room and they jammed and they wrote things and there was bouncing ideas off other musicians. And even now, like so much of it is, you know, virtual instruments and, and uh, so much of it can be done on your own in your own room. And Van Halen was the pinnacle of bands playing together and writing songs together. And the being a great player mattered. And he was the top of it. Like, be, like that was, dude, there was no shame. You remember like, the nineties came and then it was like, there was shame involved in being a great player. Yeah. But 80s, yeah. 80s, 80s, like Van Halen was like, I want to be great. I want to be as good as I I can be on my instrument. Like Eddie Van Halen, he was the top of the game for his instrument. And there was nobody better. And for virtually any instrument, there was, he was the pinnacle of that. And um, I don't know why kids started to think that wasn't cool, but, but I think people get now that, it was never not cool to be an amazing player and to be able to, to create with other musicians. That was like, that was the pinnacle. And and people look back at that time period and go, that was not just one of the greatest periods of music because it was like recorded music and, and people valued music back then. But Eddie Van Halen and Van Halen, they were, they were right at the top of it. Well said, Russ. What do you think, Rich? I think his legacy is that, Without him, I don't think music today looks the same way. And I think that's, you know, there's there's these moments where you have this um, advancement, like uh, the evolution kind of skips a cycle kind of thing. Because if you look before Eddie, it, you know, you, it was it was Clapton and Page and, um, you know, and Ace Freely. And, and those guys are, are excellent. But what Ed did was almost like you went through a wormhole and you just skipped some time. Something happened and there was such an evolution forward. And I think piggybacking what Satchel said, I think the reason the 80s was so magical and the reason why there was such a this incredible movement of people wanting to play guitar was precisely because of Ed, because Ed was the guy who was that they call it what the 79 club, right? Like all of those guys that kind of, but he was the guy, right? He was the first guy. And then you had, if it wasn't for Ed, would there have been a Randy Rhodes? Would there have been uh, a Jakey Lee? Would there have been, um, all the guys. I mean, I think, I think really he was the, the the new foundation, the same way that Hendrix was the guy that was the spark 
that kicked off that entire thing. And that's why I'm a huge fan of, of, of all of those guys. I mean, obviously George Lynch and Vito Brada and all these incredible guys that came out of that era. But I, I even think no, no Eddie, no Ingve. Even though they didn't play alike, it, it didn't matter. It was like he was the spark. He he was the guy that I'm wearing the Michael Schenker shirt, and I love Michael Schenker. But he he, he was from a different era. Like he he just what he was doing may have influenced Eddie. Eddie may have liked that, but what Eddie was able to do was just transform what Clapton and, and these guys that came before him into something that was so unique and so special that you could actually build the foundation for an entire genre on it. Whereas a guy like, you know, Jimmy Page, who I love, like how many Zeppelin type bands came after that? four or five you're right like zeppelin was the greatest but you didn't build a movement off of it like the entire decade was built on the back of eddie van halen and his vision and i don't think any of us and then you can say well what about the modern heavy metal would you, i can name all the guys that like in the modern heavy metal genre and Dimebag's probably the king of that yeah. mountain and and eddie was his guy it all really started i think he was the genesis of all of it so and it wasn't because he was just the player, but it was the songs. It was the sound of his guitar. It was the excitement that he generated through his stage performance. It was everything. He, he didn't have any weaknesses. You couldn't say like, like Ace Freely, yeah, he looks great. He's got smoke bombs, but sometimes he didn't play so great. Or, you know, yeah, they had to pull Bob Kulik in to play that on that record. Like, <laughs> like, like, like. And God bless insane. Bob Kulik too, man. He passed away this year yes, also. Yes, that's exactly right. But that's the thing about it is there's so many great guys that you – there's always caveats, right? There's Eddie Van Halen does not have an asterisk. There's no caveat. There's no like he was the greatest fighter of all time except for that one time he got his ass kicked by Junior Johnson in the third round. Of, like <laughs> <laughs> It was never – he was the best. And that's – to Johnson. me, his legacy is this conversation was that I don't even know – if these guys who are sitting here talking, if we would even be doing this and if we did, what would we sound like? Cause it certainly wouldn't be what we sound like now. Yeah, definitely wouldn't. That's great. Rich. That's, that's, that's so well said. And I'll, I'll say this too. Um, I got one more, one more question, but um, I, I actually have one more question for Steve too. I remember seeing Van Halen. Um, like I said, I, I, I missed the whole thing until the Sharon tour. Then when they reunited it in 2007, was it was, and I saw them twice. And if you guys remember, the first two weeks, they did the tour, and then they had to stop because Eddie fell back off the wagon, whatever. But the first night that I saw them, and I'm saying 2007, I could be wrong, but the first night I saw them, I remember it was in Indianapolis. I flew there myself on my own just to see fucking Van Halen. And I remember watching going, I get it. He's the greatest guitar player of all time. That night on that day in Indianapolis in 2007, there was none better because he was on and he was hot and he was rocking. And dude, I can actually say I saw the brilliance and genius of Eddie Van Halen, not just what people were telling me or what the, 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 the vibe is. He was the greatest guitar player in the world that I've ever seen. We've seen a couple others, but that night there's none better. Steve, I got to ask you a question before I ask my last, my last question is going to be, you guys can think, what's your favorite Van Halen solo of all time? But before we get to that, Steve, there's a great video of you. I'm assuming it was pre-tricks or pre-anything where you literally jumped on stage 
at Madison Square Garden, grabbed Eddie's guitar and played a fucking solo. And Russ doesn't believe it, but it's true because you sent me the video. What the fuck, dude? Tell us the story. How did that happen? What did you do? Well, yeah, it was tricks. It was 1988. It was on the OU812 tour. And, you know, back then, our one of our managers at the time was a ticket scalper. He was Mike Damone. And so he got us front row tickets for Van Halen at the Garden. It was like, a, you know, a late birthday present or, you know, I don't know what it was, but we were there. And it was just magical, man. And I was watching the show pretty much with my foot on the barrier, you know, that gate. We were yep. standing on our chats when you could like stand on your chairs, you know, and I you could still do those things. I was standing on my chair, foot on, and the show's going on. And so, you know, I'm there with PJ and Pete and Gus, my buddy Jim, who died last year. God rest his soul. God bless him. Part yeah. of this. You know, Jim, Chris, and we're yes, all there and it was just fucking the best. I mean, you know, dude, literally Eddie Van Halen, just like when you were at the House of Blues, he's yeah. right there in front of me. I mean, right there. I'm watching him. And so uh, they get into like, I think they do Ain't Talking About Love. And the next thing I know, I see Gus, our drummer, when he was skinny. He jumps up on stage and he jump runs right up to Alex's kit and he starts banging on the cymbals. We're like, holy shit, he's, he's going to get his ass kicked, blah, blah, blah. And Eddie's tech, Zeke Clark at the time, came out and grabbed Gus and walked him off stage, like didn't beat him up. Next thing I know, Gus is back with us. We're like, what the hell happened? Like, oh, they didn't do anything. They let me go back to my seat. So all of a sudden, my mind's racing. I'm like, dude, it's now or never. And I've always been, I've always been like one of those kind of guys where like you got to live for the day, like might as well jump. You know, I lived that life. You know, I lived. That was my attitude. You know, with starting Trickster and all these things that, that we used to do. But here it is. So they launch into rock and roll at the end of the show, and I'm like, this is it. This is my chance. The end of the show. My buddy Jim's like, you got to do it. You got to do it. And PJ's next to him. You got to go now. And, they, and he goes, he goes, you're going now. And he pushed me and all the guys <laughs> fell. And the next thing I know, and you see it in the video, dude, I'm right up on stage and I walk right up. To, I run right up to Eddie and I go to him, let me play your guitar. And he goes, he lifts his hands up and I reach around and I do, you know, you guys, you guys know the lick. I do this. I do the. And then Sammy and I remember watching out of the corner of my eye that Mike and Sammy came over and Ed was cool as shit and they let me finish. And then Zeke came and grabbed me and then that was it. And they let me out and they were, you know, and that was it. And the coolest part about it was Sammy heard what I was playing because, you know, Ed's guitar up on stage is like 130 decibels if you haven't been on stage hearing his guitar. So on the video and my buddy Jim, God rest his soul, always said this to me right after we got out of the show. They were waiting for me outside and he said, Sammy said, that's one bad mofo. He said, you're one bad mofo. And he kept saying that, but I never heard that. So it wasn't until... And, and Satchel, Russ, you might, you know, Joe Lester, I was on another show and he's the one who found the video because the guy who filmed it posted the show years ago, but he didn't post the whole show. And so Joe, I'm doing the show and he goes, the video, it's up. We found it. 
So 30 something years later, Fucking we hey, finally man. got that footage. And then fast forward to that day when I told you that I, Ed told me how happy he was about the letter that I wrote him with the gold record. Ed said to Sammy, Sam, this is the kid who jumped up on stage at the garden a couple years ago and was playing my guitar. And Sam goes, Bun of a sitch, you know, that thing like son of a bitch, bun of a sitch, that was you? And, I, you know, I'm in the tuning room, too, and I'm like, we were cracking up about it. So, yeah. So that was it. Yeah. So technically, you know, and I've updated my uh, my bio that shared the stage with Van Halen, Kiss, the Scorpions, Death Leopard, you know, but yeah. You man, did. Dude, if you guys haven't seen it, you got to go find it. We'll, we'll, we'll post a link to the yeah. to the clip. It's great. Steve literally just yeah. jumps on stage and plays Eddie's guitar. And once again, the fact that Eddie lets you do that and they didn't beat you up or whatever shows just the cool atmosphere of of, of Van Halen. If you try it at a Fozzie show, you will be beaten. I'm gonna do it next show. <laughs> Billy, what's your favorite solo from Edward Van Halen? I'm gonna go ahead and say there's so many of them, but one that really got me, I gotta say, is on Fair Warning. It's uh, it's hear about it later. It's a B, you know, one of the B tracks. It's a deep cut. But the solo in that song with the way it starts with rhythmic uh, double stops, as we say in guitar, and all the two-hand stuff that goes on and the tones, I'm going to say hear about it later. You know, it's funny. If you guys haven't listened to um, Van Halen Live at the Tokyo Dome, which sadly was their official last release from 2015, they play hear about it later on that. And I was like, I was just Whoa. listening to it the other day. I was like... I Really? They played Hear About it Later and it's it's so good. Boom 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 boom. I love that song. Boom boom boom. Very yep. very cool stuff. And once again, it, when we're doing uh, w- uh we do you really got me in Fozzie's VIP set where we play a, an extra set for our VIP members and Rich and I Billy's the guitar solo in you really got me every time. You're the, you're the Van Halen <laughs> guy, Billy. So there you go. <laughs> it's so much fun, man. Thank you. Steve, what's your favorite solo from, from Edward Van Halen? Uh, well, again, too many to list. Of course, a rough. Of course. Of course. That's the obvious. But I'm going to I'm going to go a little I'm going to go probably unexpected here on an emotional level. And I think it just encapsulates the meanness and the rawness and total attitude and strength of Ed Van Halen is the solo Van Halen to You're No Good. Wow. In my yeah. opinion, yeah. that solo just has, it's like a monster movie and rock and roll all in one. Ed's guitar screams, growls, cries, every emotion and everything. And I think it is probably one of the perfect how an emotion in a guitar solo fits the song perfectly that brooding scary because i remember hearing that song and it kind of scared me you know hearing it it's like man they were so dark in that solo it's still to this day you know and i know ted templeman talks about it in his book and he think he said that that's one of his favorite solos too it's just something about it it really makes talking about it my shaved arm hair is standing up right now <laughs> if you guys haven't read anybody listening haven't read the 10 ted templeman uh, autobiography you really should uh it's really great talking about his whole um uh, connection with van halen uh i'll go next i always go i'm the one like i'm the one to me still Dude, you're, to- you're stepping on my ding dong that's what? awesome I'm, <laughs> high five 
But but I'm sure there's millions. But let, and you might even agree with me. I apologize for stepping in a ding dong. But I'm the one, <laughs> even though it came out in 1978, is still the most angry, aggressive, boogie, happiest, sexiest, fucking amalgamation with doo wop vocals. Like what? What the hell is this? I remember when I was 14 years old. After the brilliance of 1984 came out, then I went back. I, I had I had the, uh, the the great moment when you discover a band and then you get to go to the back catalog. And I bought myself a Christmas present in 1985, maybe, which was the cassette of Van Halen 1, because uh, my parents said, you can't get any more presents. I'm like, well, fuck it. I have a paper route. I'm going to buy my own self. And I put it in a wrapping paper and I just to stick it up their ass like, hey, you said I couldn't get it. But oh, it's a present. Anyways, must be Santa. No, it's me. And I remember just listening to that, like that whole album is brilliant, but that one, even like I go back again to the Van Halen at the Tokyo Dome. And if you guys haven't heard it, please give it a shot because it's raw. Ross vocals are out of tune, but they're always out of tune. It's David Lee Roth. It's still amazing. Um, but I'll, let me go one past that. To me, the ultimate farewell to Eddie Van Halen is a song off different kind of truth. It's called Stay Frosty. And Roth's point of that was stay cool man be cool everything's cool it's always cool and if you listen to that song and listen to the lyrics and where we are right now with eddie's passing it's like wow like stay frosty eddie like i just like that i like stay frosty man thank you for everything and if you stay frosty in the afterlife i'll stay frosty down here but listen to that song it starts out almost as a country jam and then it goes to, it's like the bastard son of Ice Cream Man. And the solo in Stay Frosty, if you're a Van Halen fan and have not heard that, go listen to it now because it will fucking knock your block off. So there you go. Russ, what Kill. you got, baby? Uh, you know what? It's hard to, it's hard to choose because they're, they're, I, I don't think there's a bad Van Halen solo. They're all amazing. I, you're No Good is a great choice. It's an amazing solo. Um, I think... You know, being in a, in, in a Van Halen tri tribute band, there was this, the solo for So This Is Love. Mm. I thought that was an amazing one. Like, and it, was, it was the feel on it. And I mean, like, listen, they're all great, but that one, you know, has all the little tasty, cool things that Eddie ever did. And his, his phrasing was always so musical. You know, it wasn't just tapping. It wasn't just playing fast. And all those things he could do great, but it was the way he did them because his timing and his phrasing was always as musical as it could be. It wasn't like he was just trying to, you know, he, it wasn't like he ever gave something up to play fast. And and, he, and that solo in particular was just a beautiful musical solo. Uh, like all yeah. this stuff, but that's one of my favorites for sure. Rich, what do you think, buddy? Yeah, dude, I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just declare I'm the one, the winner. Because when a guitar player and a lead singer both agree that that of the entire catalog. And for me, that's the no brainer for me, just because like you said, it's so pissed off, but it's so melodic and it has all the, it's like he comes out of the gate with that little thing where he's slightly muting it, that little, uh, just and then it, and then he has his little melodic things. It's like it's a beautifully put together solo, but like Russ pointed out, it, uh, it sounds like it's improvised. 
like it could he could have he could have put that solo together and organized it working it out but it, that's the like you said that's the beauty of his playing was everything just felt like it was in the moment and it was just felt like electricity uh i mean i Again, like you said, I mean, if you said, hey, what was the one that changed it? It was obviously you have to give it eruption. And uh, just because it, it was the one that made so many guitar players want to play, you know, the same way that I guess the drum fills and Tom Sawyer inspired a generation. <laughs> like, you know, like the, what's the famous, but yeah, but I'm with you, Chris. So, uh, but don't ever ask me to play it because it's uh, above <laughs> That's my not your style, grade. dude. You're yeah. the rhythm guy. You're the fucking best rhythm guitar player I've ever played with in my life. But one, I like that you said that Eddie influenced you in that. Um, one last thing was... Uh, can, I, can I just say something? Can I just say something real quick? I say yes, something? you can. By the way, you're going to play us out, Steve. You're going to play us out, just so you know. So go ahead. Yeah, right. You got your fucking guitar. You want to play some shit. You're going to play us out. But before you do, hold on. Give us your last comment. So I, I just want to give Russ Satchel and, and Mike, Ralph, and the Atomic Punks props. Because, Russ, I think you remember years ago I was working on a record. I came to see you guys. And so I'm the one is, as every guitar player knows, to play that song right and to play it good. It's the hardest song. And the solo is not the hardest part. It's the intro lick, that one lick that people do. Phil X Great just call. did a whole video about it. And that kid from Canada, that Jacob DeRops, he's one of the only people. That is the hardest thing to play. And I will say, Russ... Satchel, whatever your name is today, don't call him late. For, don't, don't call him late for dinner. And can I borrow your wig? His back then there was no better. Still to this day, in my opinion, the greatest Van Halen tribute band ever. And Russ played the stuff as close, as far as I'm concerned, to anybody. But he could play that song in particular as good as I've ever seen. So props to you, dude. I appreciate that very much, Steve. And I, w I will say that that's one of the songs that I think encapsulates. It's got all of Eddie Van Halen in it. Like, yes, his amazing Boom. rhythm playing, the amazing lead guitar playing. If you're going to find, if you're going to pick a song that encapsulates how amazing Eddie was on guitar, that's the one. Yeah, that riff. <laughs> it's like, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's next yeah. level stuff. And yeah. like you said, and, play, and, and no overdubs, no punching. I mean, the licks are within the rhythm sections, and he's just on the whole band's on fire. And I just like you, literally, it's electric. It's it's incredible. That's what I said. That that's the greatest example of a great boogie rock band. I don't yeah. know what a boogie rock band is. I don't even know what boogie is. I just know that fucking song kicks my fucking ass. It's a shuffle. Yes, it's a shuffle. Yeah, exactly, shuffle. it's a shuffle. And I'll say one last thing before what Steve, Steve is going to play us out. So come up I'm with some shit. Play. I'm not going to play you out. Play something. I'm, Plug your I'm shit gonna, in, man. Dude, I'm going to knock you out soon. So you better be quiet. Holy shit. Let me just say one last thing. Everyone talks about jump. jump. What are you laughing at, Billy? Go fuck your ass. <laughs> Even better. Uh, when I first heard jump on, on rock and roll radio in Winnipeg, I thought it was Pete Townsend. Because to me, it sounded like uh, rough boys. Bam, bam, da, 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 da. But I will say this. Don't ever underestimate the guitar solo from Jump. Everyone talks Ooh. about bam, bam, bam. That guitar solo in that song, because I watched it three times last night. That's a motherfucker, man. And that's where I was like, Eddie Van Halen, now you're, just, now you're just pissing us off. You're already the greatest fucking guitar player and the greatest songwriter. Now you're playing keyboards. Keyboard and then yep. just in case you forget, now we're going to put this solo in which is one of the best ever. So yep. 
Steve, you don't have no to way. play because you're not plugged in. But anyways, guys, thank you so much. What a, I hope we, here's the thing. When we did this with, with Mike and Charlie after Neil passed away, uh, the professor, I hope this gave us some um, – what's the word? Not clarity, but uh, – Closure. Closure. Closure? Yeah. Yeah. We'll never have closure about the passing of Edward Van Halen. But it sure was great to talk with a bunch of brothers that all appreciated his his experience and his, his influence and – Thank you, guys, man. I feel better now, a little bit better. Thank you. Thank you for having us, Chris. Richard, Richard is, is right there, baby. Ah. Did you catch that at a concert? No, I didn't. I, I uh, got this at Nam for free. <laughs> yeah, this has no sentimental value other than it has his name on it, and it's on my desk right next to my Dave Murray pick. Okay, because I don't want to end this right now, but we got to end it like in a minute. Favorite Van Halen song ever, Gun to the Head, Hot for Teacher is mine. Steve? Unchained. Wow. Billy? I've got, I'm right there with Steve, man. I'm unchained, bud. I'm there. I'm there. What, what if I tell you that you can't take that one because it's already been chosen? Yeah, pick another okay. one. I'll, I'll go and talk about love. I all love right. that riff. Yep. Rich? I'm the one all day long. It's, it, is, it is Van Halen. Okay, I can't pick that one, so I'm going to go with Beautiful Girls. Oh, that's that's so good, man. I love it. Chris, Chris, we got to give a shout-out. Whose birthday is it today besides David Lee Ross? It's David Lee Ross' birthday today. It's my boss, Tony Khan's birthday today. But it's also Eric Martin's birthday today. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> He'll never listen to this, but happy if he ever does. <laughs> I love you guys. Thank you so much. And God bless Eddie Van Halen, man. The fucking best of all time. Thanks Amen. for the music, Edward. Thanks, man. Thank you, Eddie. You guys are all great. Thank you. You guys are all great, except for Roos. <laughs> 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 <laughs>